0: Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome everyone back to another episode of the Leaders Alliance podcast we're so glad you could join us for this and we are excited about today's guest that i'll be introducing in just a moment but as we get started let me just say that leaders alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders from different branches of the kingdom. In other words, we have church leaders who are leading local churches. We have marketplace leaders who are walking out their faith and their commitment to Jesus in business, in education, in civic civic responsibilities, government, and so forth. Hollywood. Uh, so we have those participants, and then we have others that are more evangelistic, more prophetic. We're uh, more uh, Uh, Emerging generation focused. We're gathering believers from different points of emphasis to come together in a dynamic symbiotic relationship to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're so excited you could join us for this podcast. We, we are excited about what God is going to bring to us today because we have a special guest, Tony Kim. And uh, Tony and I have known each other a lot of years, but gosh, you know, just as I've been reconnecting with him in this recent season and just hearing all that God has done in him and through him, you're going to be amazed as we talk about God's principles and God's strategies for bringing transformation in the world around us. So Tony, why don't you come on and uh, I'm going to, Oh, so good to see you, and I'm so glad you could be with us today. And uh, I want you to begin by just sharing a little bit of your story, because you have an amazing, amazing background. And then we're going to talk about leadership principles. We're going to talk about what God is saying to the church in our generation. We're going to talk about reformation and revival. And so you're going to get, if you're viewing us today or viewing us in the archives, you're going to be blessed. So, Tony, take it away.
1: Well, michael so good to see you and uh, be with you thanks for having me on sure and uh what a time to be alive right yes it's uh exciting a lot of unknowns but just to give you a little snapshot about me um, i'm a family man first and foremost my wife and i've been married for 23 years Uh, my daughter is 21 my son's 18 my youngest daughter is 15 and they all are doing tremendous things for the lord in fact my eldest is a professional ballerina and just bringing the kingdom of God, the love of God, into her world and the arts and entertainment. And we're having so much fun just watching her grow. Um, But for myself, just to give, again, a little snapshot, uh, I grew up in a Buddhist Shinto home, and my mom became the first believer, uh, follower of Jesus in our family history. And that came through a miracle she received, a healing uh, through uh, just this Uh, The pastor who's gone home to be with the Lord, a general, we would say, in the body of Christ, Dr. Younggi Cho. And and through that profound impact, she gave her life to the Lord. And the rest is history, really. Um, Just growing up in a family that's immigrant family from poverty. Again, I shared in our previous uh, broadcast um, with the uh, Leaders Alliance that I grew up in deep poverty. And we were dumpster diving for food, uh, mm-hmm. literally. And so I, I I know what it is to be without, and I know what it is to be with. But the Lord gives, and He takes away, doesn't He? And in that journey, I came to meet the Lord when I was after I graduated eighth grade. Um, I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord, where I met Jesus, and the only way I could describe it is I met Jesus face to face. He's real. Uh, the experience is one thing, but I could tell you, Jesus is real. Yes. And and from there, my life changed. Um, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol at a very young age. I was in gang activities, running the streets. And from there, the Lord captured me. He gripped me. He found me. And I said yes to him. And from there I began this journey with the Lord. And so fast forward, I found myself in ministry, uh, you know, as a young youth pastor And just have a heart for the Lord, church planting. But I've always had one foot uh, in different spheres. You know, I wasn't always in full time ministry in that sense, nor was my passion in full time ministry. But I wanted to make an impact in the church and I wanted to make an impact in the world in a very tangible way. And God answered that, you know, through my journey from the Bay Area to Pasadena to Bakersfield, California, which is where. I live now. And by the way, that's where God is as well. <laughs> and, um, but I just went through this journey of seeing the level of poverty in our city and I just couldn't sit by doing nothing. And, and my, my whole phrase is not on my watch. Yes. And and so based upon that, I engaged, uh, made a couple phone calls to the mayor's office and he engaged me with other leaders in the community. And, um, and it wasn't just me, but I was couple. You know, I partnered with a couple of people, and we began serving our community. And really, the word "serve" is such a key, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and and Jesus came to serve and pour out His life, and and so we just took that approach and asked the question, "What can we do for our city in our community?" And they directed us to single mothers on on welfare, recovering from addiction, unemployed, with at least three kids. Wow, and that's all odds against you. Yeah, and we created a pilot program, um, and we created a whole mentoring program, mobilizing and partnering with 111 churches in Bakersfield. By the way, we have over 600. So, if you're wondering, 111. Um, but with that said, that opened up doors, Michael, that I never thought would open up. Wow, you know, and you never know what God's going to do when you just reach out to the one. And what door that would open up, just in Mm. our faithfulness to God. Um, We we all want to change the world, but can we change the the life of the person next to us? Yes. And and our focus was just very local. And I was part of a local church. I was pastoring at the time as well. Uh, But I thought, what would it look like to pastor our city? Mm. Um, And we began working with other marketplace leaders, businesses, and we really converged together as a team. Yes. And, and it takes all of us, people mm-hmm. in every sphere of society, every industry. If we want to disciple a city, uh, the people of the city need to come together. Yes, And so that opened up doors with the success that we had to have us named the promising practice, a potential best practice. And then the faith-based office of the White House called me and said, we want you to come and present and speak at our conference wow i was absolutely Amazing. blown away Wow! um i went to bible i went to an at that time an unaccredited bible college barely passed biblical studies theology and pastoral <laughs> studies right yeah and and here you know here i am and so god uses us as way beyond our own capacity yes um and so i went there and presented and long story short that led me to consulting different governor's offices we did PPVs, public-private ventures to see uh, city transformation. I began consulting with corporations, uh, nonprofits, and now in, uh, in my role now as a pastor of a church in Bakersfield, we have an online school raising up revivalists and reformers to transform community um, with our own network called Rural Collective, and I serve as the executive director of Harvest International Ministry with our leader, Cheon.
0: Wow. So that's
1: a little sn- snippet of me.
0: Gosh, I want to go deep into each one of those elements because each one of them is so relevant to who we are in Leaders Alliance. You know, we want to see that kind of influence, that kind of strategic impact uh, brought by the church. And unfortunately, we live in a season where the church has kind of lost her voice at some level. You know, I, I don't know that there's anyone more qualified by. God's objective standards to be the primary leader of our culture, but we've been pushed to the side now, especially in the COVID season, and we've been deemed to be irrelevant and non-essential and whatever. I think it's time for us to find our voice in terms of bringing the blessings of God's heart to the world around us. And you've had a privilege of doing that. So how did that develop locally? Because you started working, you said 111 churches that you started working with, and you were also in a partnership with the city. They were giving you some, some uh, resources, some money, uh, or how, did, how was that money generated? Absolutely. Talk about that a little bit, just the practical nuts and bolts of that, of that initial effort.
1: Yeah, the world is desperate for solutions. Yes, and, and, if, if, and I believe that we as the church, the ecclesia, we need to come into the mainstream of leadership within our communities at yeah. a local level. And without, without our voice being heard, there's no sustainability. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ that mm-hmm. is the sustain, that's the element key piece that sustains. And, and so just with our heart, excuse me, we, we began uh, identifying the needs of the community by, by talking to our city leaders to see what we can do in a very tangible way. And when they presented the uh, case to us saying single mothers on welfare, it's the number one uh, epidemic in our city, yeah. we began to speak to other pastors. And, you know, the, the world of pastors is, is an interesting thing, but typically pastors can speak to pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of that, we're not, you know, depending on the leader, but just generally speaking, it's tough to reach out to pastors, yeah. but what we did was we became a bridge, you know, myself and a couple other leaders became a bridge between the public sector and the faith sector. Wow. And we did round tables. We educated, uh, there was a lot of questions about the separation between church and state, Um, And so we had to educate rightly really what the whole purpose of that was all about. And it really, the power of collaboration, what I call kingdom collective impact can take place um, as we create partnerships within other civic arenas. So in that 111 churches, senior pastors said yes to signing an MOU for us to come together to see poverty eradicated in our city.
0: That's amazing. Wow. Um
1: uh, and so we just needed the yes of the pastors which gave us permission to go to the grassroots because Michael you and I know leaders have a big place of influence but the power is in the grassroots. Yes. And, That's so true. and so so working with the leaders we had access to the grassroots community and we began training and equipping uh, Christ followers uh, on how to bring tangible change to these broken families, marginalized families. Wow! And and through the success of that, they just said in the first year they gave us uh, ten families as a pilot, mm. and they said, "Can you? What can you do with ten families?" And we s- created, we prayed. Obviously, prayer is the key. We prayed and received the strategy, uh, put together a program, created a curriculum and focused on really several areas of transformation. One is um, job development. Yeah. Uh, second is um, healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Third is goal setting. Mm. Fourth is parenting. And fifth is uh, the tangible needs of life skills with the foundation of uh, housing and transportation. Wow. So to me, you could use that those elements and scale it to whether transform a nation or an individual. And I found wow. that to be true.
0: That's so amazing. And
1: with the success, they gave us 10,000 one year, they gave us 100,000 the next year, 250,000 <laughs> the next year, 500, 700, and then we just, you know, 1 million. And at that point, that's when we went national. Wow. Um, I handed the organization off, and then I took more of a national platform, being a part of what we call national intermediaries. Wow. Um, which became really the hub organization that became the voice and face and the administrative backbone to organizations that were in the grassroots, right. uh, churches, ministries that were doing the stuff.
0: That's and, so amazing.
1: And we received millions and millions of dollars to redistribute, to build capacity and to provide natural, tangible resources for those communities that were targeted. So that's been a little bit of our journey.
0: That's amazing. I want to dig a little deeper in this. Uh, you know, I was actually raised by a mother on welfare. We had four kids in the house. Um, we were basically on AFDC the whole time. You know, if I went to the doctor, it was with you know, Medi-Cal. Medi- if I went to a store to buy some right. groceries, it was with food stamps. That was my life growing up. And my mom was in the hippie movement too. So that was another complicating factor, but we could have definitely used that kind of ministry you know, coming towards us, because we, we were locked down. I mean, we just had a we had a difficult childhood our whole lives in San Francisco. But um, so you, what you did then is you, you took this and went national, because, you know, again, like, I don't know that there's a more strategic place where we could serve hurting, hurting communities by serving families. In other words, I don't know if there's a more strategic place if you look at the stats of how many how many people in prison were raised in a broken home with without That's the right. of a fam- a father, you know, or without the presence of a mom because she had to work a job and get her welfare or whatever it was. In other words, this is really where, um, you know, the building block of society is. When you took that national, how did it begin to affect? Because you said you met with governors, you met with other, I'm mm. sure, nonprofits, and then eventually with corporations. How did that begin to actually, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, season the the nation in terms of this this priority or this this uh, this ministry emphasis?
1: You know, you're you're right, Michael. I, you know, in 2006, the National Fatherhood Initiative was birthed in our nation. And they came to this one concluding statement, which I mean, um, it's it's amazing. It, it blew me away, and it was this: through research, that every social illness can be attributed to fatherlessness. Wow! And really, it's about they're talking about broken homes. Yes. And and so, what what we were doing, which I didn't know, was. Was translated into every sector of society because even the Abrahamic covenant is all the families shall be blessed. Yes, and if there's families, you know where our families located within every sphere, within every context in our community and society, right. Right. right? Whether in government, whether in uh, business, or church, or arts, and entertainment, whatever that might be. Right. And so. So we came at it, we, we came at this with how can we serve and see families strengthened? Wow. Because it's based upon the family that our society follows. Right. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so based upon that, uh, we began working with different, um, governors and, um, you know, I was named a family and youth expert for the wow. different states and That's I was a... only 26 years old when that took place, <laughs> which, cause I. I barely knew how to raise my own family, yeah. let alone how to raise myself. And so, um, you know, I found myself in these places, but I realized we're here to serve families. We're yeah. here to see people. And, and within that construct, uh, we're able to come up with strategies where we work with Department of Justice, Department of Labor, Health and Human Services, the administration for children and families to see tangible change in transformation. And we had benchmarks. We were targeting job creation, economic development, you know, seeing truancy decrease and so forth. So based upon the measurements and the target uh, out targeted outcomes, that's where our success slide. And that's where the favor came. And then we even had international leaders uh, come Mm -hmm. to study and, interview and do that so i was consultant by day revivalist reformer by night (laughs) because i would do these miracle services at night with these churches as i'm traveling to different cities meanwhile i'm training and equipping on these elements during the day so it was it was a fun season
0: Wow, that's so phenomenal. Well, again, you know many of the people that are checking out this this podcast are pastors, and uh, many of them are marketplace people. So you've had a foot in both worlds significantly. I mean the fact that you were elevated to a national profile and got to sort of affect that larger picture of of uh, societal reality is is huge but you've also had a significant input in terms of the church and churches that you've had relationship with and and I want to kind of go in that direction for a few minutes and then we'll kind of bring the two back together again but you began as a youth pastor. You eventually planted your own church. Uh, you've also worked with some of the key leaders of this recent season of revival in the body of Christ, including uh, Peter Wagner and, and uh, Cheon, who, you know who is one of the leading apostolic voices in the body of Christ today. You know, talk about that journey and how you ended up kind of where you are right now as the executive director globally for HIM, Harvest International Ministries. I mean, what a huge journey that is, in addition to all the other things you were doing on the, quote, secular side of things, but it wasn't secular, obviously, but talk about this side of things.
1: Sure. Um, I've had the privilege of working with just the generals and mothers and fathers, we would call it in the faith, in our circle. And, Mm -hmm. and I've just always had that favor on me. And it's only by the grace of God. There's no other, I had nothing to offer. I still don't think I have much to offer, but I do know what I carry. I don't say that in an insecure way. Um, I just know who I am. Uh, Within that people ask me this question all the time, Michael, how did you get to where you are? Um, I'm not the most anointed person. I'm not, I'm not the greatest speaker. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed i'm not the best looking guy but although that could be questionable um <laughs> yeah you know you know you know what i did was and this is this is what i believe honest to god is i just outlasted everybody wow i think i outfateful everybody wow. and 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 especially in the season we're in now we've been hit in so many different directions Yes. And there's disappointments, discouragement. People are disparaged. I'm talking about leaders, yeah. um, in business or the church or any type of leader. Um, yeah. But my encouragement would be: just don't quit. Yeah. Just don't quit. You know, Galatians six nine I believe is a key verse for us. You know, don't grow weary in doing good, because in due time you'll reap the harvest. Yes. And, and, and so part of my journey I received a great advice early on and this leader told me Tony a lot of people start by sprinting but they they burn out at the end yes they said pace yourself build slow and be faithful wow and and i i leaned into that counsel and i thank god for it wow. and i really believed that that's what outside the grace of God, that's really what, um, you know, brought me to where I am today in my journey. But let me just say this as well. Family is such a key. Yes. You know, and uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. That word build is oikodameo, which comes from the root word oikos, which is home, family, house. And so it's actually from the house, the ecclesia, from the family, the equity is going to come forth from. Mm. And and so family was such a big deal to us. That's one thing. uh, Again, one counsel we received was Tony, because of who you are, you and your family are going to have to make a lot of sacrifices, but don't ever let your family be the sacrifice.
0: Wow. That's good.
1: And, and so my wife and I, we, we structured our family in a very specific way where uh, we do life, we go on dates once a week when I'm not traveling, we go on one-on-one dates with our kids and we wow. have a family time together every week. And this is something that I believe really strengthened us, uh, for us to advance together.
0: That's so good. Now I'm so, I'm so proud of you for doing that because again, those are the things that we can tend to neglect and then you regret it the rest of your life. And that's the thing that, you know, many, many pastors and leaders and many business people have put their family on the altar. Of success and basically said, okay, this is worth giving up if I can have that golden ring, you know, but it doesn't work. (laughs) It ultimately will sabotage you and it'll cause you a a lot more grief in the end of your life. And so, well, give us a quick sort of the stepping stones of your ministry development leading up to the time now where you are the director of this amazing, you know, thousands of churches around the world. How did that, you know, begin like from, take us from youth leader to global uh, apostolic overseer. How did that, how how was that journey?
1: A very challenging one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, there's that procession, isn't there? Uh, That process. And, you know, I was, I was, I was one of these young zealot, just ambitious leaders uh, people who know me, my wife says I have a triple A type personality, <laughs> uh, which isn't necessarily a compliment, but, yes. um, I became a youth pastor, um, at, you know, at a young age, uh, 17, 18, I was co-youth pastoring and also was, it was within the Korean church framework. And yeah. so, um, you know, so I was more like the youth director in that sense. Uh, they have different words for pastors. Sure. Um, but from there, I went to Bible College. Uh, William Jessup University is where I graduated from.
0: Yeah.
1: From there, I went down to Pasadena, moved to Pasadena to go to Fuller. And then I found out that uh, Peter Wagner retired that year. So I retracted and I got in contact with, I was introduced to Dr. Ralph Winner,
0: yeah. um,
1: who founded the U.S. Center for World Missions at yes. the time. And yeah. so I began working for him. Wow. And he said, you know, come. Um, work in my publishing department, helped me just in the William Carey publishing area department. And so I, I started, began working for him, but at the same time he took me in and I sat with them once a week in his living room, drinking tea, just listening to his stories, asking mm-hmm. questions. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, oh. I'm praying with this guy who's just a wild man at the time. No one really knew who he was by the name of Lou Engel. Yes. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, and Che, uh, you know, just took me in as a son
0: yes.
1: and, and just through that process. And I knew, I knew I wasn't the smartest. I knew I wasn't the most anointed um, looking at my friends. I'd see them as what we would deem successful. And I just thought the only thing I have is faithfulness. I just wow. know how to serve. I ha- yeah. have nothing else to give except that. Wow. And, and so I just served in incapacity. Uh, meanwhile, you know, and as I spoke at different places, miracles were happening. People were getting saved. I always have a heart for souls and the preaching yeah. of the gospel. Um, and that led me into, from there, got married, moved to Bakersfield. And that's where this whole other paradigm, um, you know, that's where I would say I receive a personal reformation. Wow. And that's where the whole aspect of serving the community, transformation. Um, it's really highlighted to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not educated, but I do study. I do research. Um, I'm not degreed, uh, but in that I engaged and I want to propose this for every pastor that's listening, Michael, is you may feel you're called to just to the church, but if you are pastoring people, you are influencing every sphere of society. Yes. You know, because you have all the spheres of society within the context of your Sunday morning or whenever you mm-hmm. gather. Yes. And, and so I would, I would encourage, be a learner, learn the different spheres, learn the different worlds, learn the language and mm-hmm. ask the Lord how you can lead these ones. You don't need all the answers. That's what one common thing, pastor say to me, Tony, you have this understanding that we don't have, we don't have answers. Well, I don't either. But if we could just love them through the process in their world and be yeah. there for them and help equip them with kingdom things and help them apply it into their world, that's all we need. It's called Absolutely. discipleship, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And that's really where, you know, as we're relating to different people, I mean, I actually set a goal of going to every business person's business when I was pastoring. Yeah. I did 33 years of pastoring in San Francisco for those who are just listening for the first time. And, and uh, you know, I, I really... I actually, when I discovered the true value of the Great Commission, I mean, I had known it since I was a young Christian, but when I realized that that was my job description, I started putting 20 hours, half of my actual working time a week into discipleship and leadership development, mm-hmm. because I just saw that as my mandate, okay, and that meant that I was spending personal time with a lot of different potential leaders, and that meant in many cases that I would actually go to their workplace, because they weren't free to travel, I was, I could go and yeah. spend time in it, and and just my curiosity alone was what kind of drove me to be able yeah. to explore what they're doing and why they do it the way they do it. And what have they learned in the process of what they're doing and how can that, I, I learned from that in a way that would help me to be a better pastor, leader, church planter and so forth. It was like that interesting interface or interplay between marketplace and, and church was really helpful mm-hmm. to me because one thing that's really true is that most churches are, are not uh, They're not graded or they're not successful on the basis of the product they produce. In other words, there's an accountability within the marketplace that requires that you produce the outcome that you intend to produce or you go out of business. The church can actually just meander and just kind of go through the motions and never really produce the fruit, but they just sort of sustain because of the tithe and because of the people's goodwill. But so I I learned a lot about practical measurables from the marketplace yes. that really helped me to be a much better pastor and now a much better pastor's coach. But let's take, let's take your story then and go a little further now because you started more partnering and eventually taking a role with HIM with Harvest International Ministries right. as a national director. How did that work? And then how did it expand to be global? Tell us about that.
1: So, you know, I think you said a key word, Michael, and what you're sharing fruit. Yeah. You know, it's, And I think we need the right definition of success as leaders, right? What, what is your measurement of success? Because that's how, based upon your definition of success, that's what framework system you're going to build to achieve Mm
0: -hmm. that.
1: And, and so for me, my finish line is really nations discipled. Yes. And, and you know, and within that spectrum, of course, souls, revival, reformation, renaissance, you know, all these things uh, that we're called to, you know, as far as I love what you said, that's our job description. And, and so with saying that I was just faithful with what the Lord's put into my hands. And, and from there, people started seeing the fruit and started pulling on me. And, and so I told the ones that I'm, I'm leading, you know, Produce fruit and ministry and opportunities will come looking for you.
0: That's good.
1: Yeah. And, and and that's what I found to be true. It's just we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, called us to be. And based upon the fruits, uh, people call. You know, people people ask questions. People ask, you know, give invitations. And I. Th- it's the same thing with Jay. You know, he saw the fruit. Here I am in a city that's not very... I, I think Bakersfield is a tremendous city, but it has a bad reputation. Yeah. Um, you know, within society, people see Bakersfield as the armpit of California. That's a whole yeah. other story. Sure. Um, but within that context, I could still be faithful and produce amazing fruit wherever I am. Yeah. Wow. And so from there, Che called and said, Tony, I need a director. And I, of course we prayed and, I stepped into that role and I began working with the churches in a very tangible way. And I, and I began operating differently, Michael. And so this is the way I operate. This isn't casting uh, just remarks or anything. This is just me. For me is let's capitalize instead of just inviting me to speak, let's capitalize, you know, on as much, we can as much as possible leveraging the different resources we have, such as different, uh, video conference platforms Yes, and and let's go through leadership development. Let's go through everything we can do and exhaust this because I believe in good stewardship. And once we exhaust that, then let's talk about what it looks like and the impact and the fruit we're looking for if I were to come. And so based upon that, my goal has been to uh, transform, really reform the church because reformation always began with the church. It doesn't begin with society. Yes, and and it's to shift from the model of traditional church. And again, I'm I'm not speaking any negativity or devaluing a traditional church because a traditional church reaches people, um, you know, that I've I'll ever reach perhaps. Right. Um, but with that with that said, I want to for my for my goal in calling. I want to see traditional churches shift into transformational churches. Yes. And what does that look like on, on a very uh, pragmatic local level, like on a yes. macro level, in the world? Uh, but when I, I read the gospel, it talks about reaching your neighbor first. Yes, and, that's right. And so it's what does that look like on a pr- tangible way? And so I just began jotting some things down that I felt the Lord give me steps on how to impact my local community the city I live in, um, at the same time, I had this inverted role because I was already in 40 plus nations before I planted this. We're pastoring now. Wow. And so within that, but we are called, and I believe the local church is a powerful kingdom expression to impact our community.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's that phrase that you find mostly in the uh, the sort of the, the, progressive world where they say you know think globally act locally and I yes. actually think it's I think that's wisdom from heaven you know because we do want to have a big picture understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his be- only begotten son that we are priests and kings bringing transformation to the world around us those are all you know salt and light reality that's that's what we're called to but if it doesn't happen locally if it's not happening in front of you in other I- words Who was it? I think it was Wimber that said, hey, a plane ticket doesn't make a missionary. You know, if you're not doing it at home, you're not going to do it when you go to some other country. It's like you've got to be able to engage because it really is an integrity lifestyle issue. You know, we have to actually be affecting our families, affecting our neighborhoods, affecting those that are closest to us. If we want the authentic expression of kingdom reality to affect the larger picture. And so, uh, talk a little bit about that, because you've been actually privileged by God to do both. I mean, you've gotten to really be a, a world changer within Bakersfield, but that elevated you to being able to be influential both on the the church oversight side and the the cultural transformation side. You know, uh, how did that work for you, and and how do you see the two working together?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the beautiful things that God is doing in our day. Is, is, as we've talked about before, Michael, is he's erasing the lines between secular and uh, sacred. Uh, this world, yeah. this dualistic mindset, um, I believe God is in the process of renewing us, renewing our minds so that we erase the platonic way of thinking, which, right. uh, you know, in the platonic ways of living for us to understand that God is one God, three in one, one in three. He's a God of all of life. Right, and he's not just God here and not God over there and he's not just right. God over there and not God here. And so um, with that mindset, I think we're about to see a whole new expression um, in in the way that the ecclesia uh, is um, is gonna uh, you know identify with. I think there's a new identity on its way That's um, so good Now with with that said, I think you know for me again, my conviction is, if I don't have fruit at home, I have nothing to export. Yes, you know, I could go to all these yeah. nations, but it's going to be a shot in, the, you know, shot in the dark or a flash in a pan, just hoping yeah. something versus, you know, um, a practitioner and experiencing something versus a theoretician. A lot of right. theoreticians out there, but we need practitioners who actually have produced fruit. And again, I value this. in a very uh, deep way yeah um i i I appreciate it i I chew on it i read um but really it's it's the practitioners something to export and so good i just take what i hear locally contextualize it where the lord sends me because the kingdom works everywhere yes if it's a kingdom principle it's going to translate um in contextualization and so contextualizing it we've just seen some incredible things i'm working with some incredible tree planters in india right now um contextualizing wow. what we've done here to multiply and duplicate you know what works to make it work there and so, and so that's the approach we took but uh, you know i think one of the first keys that we need to understand as leaders is um, we need to be able to see and what I mean by that is, we'll to, we need a pulse in our community. and We need to see the problems in our community, yes. and, yeah. and and capture what are the issues, uh, and not be blind wow. to it. You know, as, wow. as as we're reaching out.
0: Wow, yeah, that actually reminds me of the one of my favorite revival passages, which is uh, Matthew nine thirty five. It says that Jesus went about all the villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick. And then it says, when he saw the multitude, <laughs> he saw them. Yeah. And, and it, right. sometimes we don't even notice that he saw them. He saw them as weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And, uh, and then he said, let's pray. The Lord of the harvest to ekbalo, you know, laborers That's into right. the harvest, as as uh, Lou Engel, Engel's been making a great uh pitch for is this Ekbalos, hurl them forth into the harvest, right. and uh, and so it's like we're we're in that moment, but it really does take seeing, you know, we, and we've got to see it in such a way that it, you know, it says that that he was moved with compassion, and that means that his That's guts right. were. We're churning within him. Are we allowing ourselves to truly see at a level that causes us distress, you know, where we feel the pain of those that are actually hurting so much under the weight of demonic, uh, you know, uh, control and, and manipulation? So, again, I just okay. love that about, about what you're saying. Um, let's shift gears and let's, you know, we have about another 15 yeah. minutes or so. Let's talk about mm-hmm. leadership in general. But I want to begin by talking about you named your church Renaissance Church. And, right. and I want to, you know, we talked about in the, in the members broadcast, the, the hub meeting a few minutes ago. We talked about these three words revival, reformation, and renaissance. How do they fit yes. together? And how do you see those, those, those elements? Uh, in a sense, feeding one another in in where the church is going?
1: Yeah, great questions, Michael. Um, I think revival, um, to me, transforms the heart of man or the heart of the city, community, nation. Yes. Uh, Reformation transforms the systemic levels of okay. the individual, yeah. um, the community, city, or nation. And renaissance, to me, which means rebirth or revival, renaissance, uh, and yeah in the uh french is is rebirth mm-hmm. but really in the renaissance period and you mentioned this in the, that renaissance really about creativity it's a display of humanity in birthing um you know just the uh, the printing press uh was birthed mm-hmm. out of the renaissance you know yeah. and so forth right but to me revival and reformation were never Meant to be divorced. They were always to be yeah. married. Uh, because if you have revival without reformation, you don't have sustainability. You don't have something that sustains. If mm-hmm. you have reformation without revival, you come up with a humanistic movement like the Renaissance of history. Yes. Where in the old Renaissance of history, it was based upon the philosophy of man is the measure of all things. Because the church advocated yeah. the role in society at the time. Wow. Uh, but I believe in this new renaissance through revival and reformation, um, the fruit of renaissance is all going to be based around this philosophy of God is the measure of all things. Wow! And so I believe revival is going to bring back the awe of God back into the heart of people, the hearts of people, bring salvation uh, to bring a sal- you know, just that kingdom dimension. And that reformation piece is that piece of wisdom. That's going to come and bring solutions into broken systems. But let me yeah. say this too, Michael. Yeah. A lot of when we yeah. think of reformation, we think of changing the old. Yeah. If we if we look at the way Jesus reformed society, and he's the greatest reformer that ever lived. Uh, Jesus didn't reform by trying to change the old. He created the new. He brought yeah. his kingdom, and everyone tasted of the goodness of God, and they all tasted that goodness, and they just said. That kingdom is better than the kingdom I'm a part of. I'm leaving mine wow. and coming into his. And really, that is the revival and reformation working together.
0: That's so good. That's so good. And and obviously, it really does come down to the heart of an individual at some level. In other mm-hmm. words, you know, one of my favorite lines when we talk about discipling nations is Jesus didn't die for concrete, you know. That's right. <laughs> he died for souls to you know, populate heaven and plunder hell. And so really, you know, as we think about the big picture of transformation and reformation, we cannot neglect the the micro reality that really, it depends on the transformation of a, of a billion's hearts. And that's really, so, that's but right. you talked about this earlier, where you talked about the idea of equipping, empowering, and emancipating. And I yes. love that. Can you, can you go into that a little bit? Because as we're, as we're, equipping people to be the revivalists and the reformers that God's called them to be, there's more than just equipping and empowering. So talk about that whole, those three points.
1: Sure. So the equipping piece, um, I think uh, the pastors that are learning or uh, listening to us, the marketplace leaders uh, that are listening to, we understand that piece of equipping, the training piece and so forth. And we want to continue to grow in that. We want to continue to implement um, effective and efficient uh, ways of methodologies and imparting, um, you know, just leadership principles and so forth. But then we have the empowering where we give them opportunity and so forth. But this is where I made a mistake as a pastor, Michael, was I was equipping everyone. And if, you know, just to be fully disclosed to build the church I was leading. Yeah, that's right. And, because my success in the beginning as a pastor was butts and seats. And I didn't have the framework of actually my success is transforming my city. Yes. And and so I was equipping, empowering everyone for inside the four walls of the church. And through this journey, I realized, and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart, saying, Especially, you know, we know 2% of people are in full-time ministry, vocational ministry. 98% are outside the four walls.
0: Exactly. And I thought,
1: I'm trying to force, you know, just a square peg into a round uh, hole. Yeah. And 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 so I started just processing with the Lord on this. And I realized that third dimension that I was missing is we need to equip, we need to empower, but we need to emancipate. Not mm. everyone's called to build in the four walls of the church. But everyone is called to build the kingdom somewhere. Yes. And so understanding that my job as a leader, you know, let's bring it back into the family context. I'm imparting, my wife and I are imparting principles, values of who we are in following Christ to our kids. If it was up to me, without the emancipation, my oldest daughter would not be a professional ballerina. She'd be a preacher in the pulpit.
0: That's right. That's right. Right?
1: But she has an anointing and grace on her, carrying the values, carrying the lessons that we taught her, but yet expressing it in her own unique, created, divine way, which wow. is through dance and, yes. and the artistic expression. And I feel like we need to embed that within our culture as mm-hmm. we're here, reset the finish line, and then yeah. add that emancipation piece because lions and eagles, which I believe are the millennials – and the Gen Z yeah. are never meant to be caged. They're, they're, they're to be let, set free.
0: That's very good. And so
1: we're trying to tame them in in the church while God's right. trying to let them loose and be wild in the world Wow! for the kingdom.
0: That is so powerful because, you know, I know that just in my own experience too, That that what the emerging generation is going to build will be so much more suited to the emerging heart. And, and again, I think that, you know, one of the the things that I, I care most about is that emancipation, but I just hadn't really thought about it in those words, freeing people. And we, we say it often, we've said it on this broadcast, just to say, hey, there's nobody telling us how to build church, really. I mean, we can do whatever the Lord says to us, but we get stuck in our patterns, we get stuck in our Traditions, even those of us who claim to be sort of (laughs) non-traditional, we have our own little boxes that we've created, and so I love that concept. You also shared a little bit, also about um, these like four principles that you felt like were really guiding the leadership development process in this coming season. Why don't you hit those as well? Because I I, want to make sure our podcast audience can hear that.
1: Sure. Yeah. um in the in the hub meeting um, with the leaders' alliance group, I share these four principles, um, which is this. Really, it's I, I call it the four essentials. Obviously, not exhaustive, but of transformation. And yeah. one is that all transformation begins with encountering God. Yeah. You know, um, and it's it's knowing Him. It's 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 cultivating and continuing to stoke the fire of personal revival. Yes. And, and, and that, you know, and for every leader, you know, we can't talk about revival and preach revival unless we're living it, mm. you know, and, and so it's coming back to the place of first love and just coming back to operating out of the heart of God. And so it's that encountering God peace. and yeah. encounters bring transformation. You know, Genesis 28, Jacob encountered God in a dream. He woke up and he said, this place is called Bethel. Uh, the house of God. Well, he changed the name of a city through an encounter. So the place of your encounter becomes a place where you have authority and power to bring change into that place. So good. And so it's transformation beginning with encountering God. Second is, uh, you know, it's to change Babylon, which we're living in a Babylonian society, you know, um, within our culture, we we need to make sure we must not allow Babylon to change us. We can't Mm. do Babylonian ways and uh, expect kingdom results. You know, um, and I'm I'm gonna say something that's pretty harsh, but from a compassionate perspective, Michael, if I can. I think, you know, the pulpits in America have been defiled. And what I mean by that is, we're teaching Mm. self-help, motivational. And through COVID, I think we've come to the conclusion, and this isn't my words, These are the words of friends of mine. Uh, It did not work.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And and uh and and so we we need everything from the ways of God, you know, God's wisdom, which Mm -hmm. includes creativity, excellence, and obedience. So we need we we need to be a people that changes Babylon, not be changed by Babylon. And the third is, That's right. we need to make sure that our practice and principles need to align with the Word of God. You know, we yes. need to be we need to be bold about righteousness. We need to be bold about truth, and not worry about whether we're going to lose people in our church or not. Um, and and so we we need we need a bold community, right up to be a voice in the midst of darkness. You know, in the first yeah. century church. You know, there was a decree saying that all babies you know, uh, can be killed, you know, and, and, and within that period, how, how was that reversed? The first century church fathers stepped forth together and said, that's evil, not on our watch. And they spoke up even if the world was against them and they were able to revert that in time. Yeah. So I believe we need, we need to be bold and righteous, um, and the fourth is, in order to reach Babylon, we need to learn the Babylonian language. Yes. You know, when we go into these worlds, you know, I, it's funny because I remember taking Cisco. you know, and we we're getting samples and all this stuff, right? Having lunch. That's like the poor man's lunch, right? That's what I call it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and we're going and I remember, uh, you know, us having something and my friend, this is really good. And the lady says, well, I'm glad. How are you doing? And he just said, I'm blessed, sister. I'm blessed. And I thought, I looked at her face and I, I don't think she knew what to do. Yeah. And we just started laughing. And and you know, it's great for us to have that language in our world, but we need to learn to translate that into other worlds.
0: Yes. You know, and
1: I gave this example at the hub again, Michael, which is um, you know, when we're talking about our programs and I was presenting, I, I presented three key principles. Because they're, they kept asking, how are you getting these results? How are you getting yeah. these results? So I said, here's how we're doing it. Number one, we're changing belief systems. Number yes. two, we're building adaptive resilience. Yes. And number three, we bring security and safety. Wow. And they just thought, that is brilliant. And by the way, that opened up doors for me to actually teach at universities and social psychology. Amazing. And, and so – we walk out of there and one of my friends says, where did you get that from? And I said, well, that's Bible. And he said, wow, that, the Bible talks about that. And I said, listen, it's faith, hope, and love. Faith is belief systems. Hope is adaptive resilience. And love is safety and security. I just translated wow. it into modern day English within the world that we're speaking to. And so we need to learn that language.
0: That is so brilliant. No, seriously, that's that's what, you know, I, I wrote a book with Banning Leapshire called uh, Revival Culture, and one whole third of the book is focused on trying to learn the language of the culture yeah. we're seeking to reach. And that's really what you probably initially learned from Ralph Winter and the whole U.S. Center for World Missions was like, hey, we've got to translate this, this gospel, and... Um, and so, how does it translate into the hippie culture? How does it translate That's into right. the culture? How does it translate into even within the Western world? There's different subcultures. The gay community. How can we translate? In fact, right. I had a conversation not too long ago with a. Um, it's on. It's on a group called Fractal Friends. But this guy who I met at a at a Burning Man type gathering, um, and he, you know, he. He, was, he had eye makeup on and a dress when I first met him, and we, we built a friendship. And he invited me on his podcast during the election last year because he was so concerned about the polarization of right and left. And he said, I want a Bible-believing Christian to come on and talk to us about what you believe, what you see. And so I spent, gosh, a whole hour and a half talking, translating my convictions into language that hopefully built a bridge and not a wall. Wow. between that's us right like i i just believe that you're hitting on something there that is so crucial is you know faith hope and love but faith being this to say it again one more time because it was just brilliant faith yeah, so faith is, a, is
1: belief systems so changing yeah. belief systems hope is building adaptive resilience and resilience is the ability to bounce back but adaptive yeah. resilience is the ability to actually bounce forward and that's wow. what i believe what kingdom is and then wow. love, which brings security and safety. And so if we look at even our That's journey, good. the way that we advance people is we sec- we're secured in the Father's love, where we find safety, refuge. And then he advances us with hope. And in the journey, what keeps us going is our faith.
0: Amen. Because
1: faith finishes. And, and so it's just, again, translating that Dr. Winner was such a big part of the, you know, helping me process all this into acculturation and contextualization and, and, sure. and it's, and it's understanding,
0: the, understanding the kingdom longings of the yes. generation that we're seeking to reach. What is the, right. the drivers of their heart? Because if we can understand that many of those drivers that are driving Gen Z and, and millennials are, are elements that really resonate with certain aspects of the kingdom. And so how can That's we build right. that bridge between those two things? Well, this is awesome. We need to wrap up, but I would just love you if you had a final word, both for the, the marketplace side and for the church side. If, you're, you know, if you had those leaders sitting in a room right now, what would you say to them just as a final closing thought on our discussion today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would just say this. Let's come together together. Yeah. And I think pastors understand your marketplace leaders, hear their hearts. Uh, the number one thing that I hear from marketplace leaders is, you know, I'm nothing but a big dollar sign to these pastors. Mm. And, wow. and so we need to make sure we value uh, one another uh, in a way where I really, the underlying leadership principle and philosophy that I live by, Michael, is this. People are more important than what they can do or give me. Yes. And and get to hear each other's heart. And then from there, leverage the skill sets of one another. Mm. Um, Identify the problem that you want to uh, hit and bring a solution to in the community together. Yes. And begin strategizing together in prayer and and start putting a uh, beginning date, end date, and start measuring your impact in the city. I believe there is a kingdom collective that God's bringing together. It's revival reformation. Let's all move together with the spirit of revival, heart of a reformer. And remember this reformers always ran together. They never ran alone.
0: Yes. Um,
1: You know, we have, you know, uh, William Wilberforce that we're so accustomed to hearing about. He had the uh, Clapham group, you know, Martin Luther had the Hussites. George Fox had the Quakers. And yeah. you, listeners, you can join Leaders Alliance, in the hub, and be a part of this community because this is exactly what they're doing. And so be mm-hmm. a part of something bigger than yourself that you could contribute towards. And let's see His kingdom come from the ends of the earth together.
0: Excellent. So good. Well, would you pray for us as we close and just release the sense of what God's done in your life as an impartation to us?
1: Absolutely. I'd be honored. Lord, I thank you for the just the, some seeds that you planted in me, God. And Lord, in the same way, I pray by your grace right now, Lord, that you would release uh, just your presence, your glory, your favor upon every person. Lord, yes. I pray that you would uh, awaken uh, within us, Lord, just the yearning and hunger of your heart, Lord, that we would operate from your heart. I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, Lord, that people would know you more and that you would be made known more in society. Lord, I pray, God, that the favor upon our lives, that we use it to build your kingdom, to see your kingdom come. Lord, give us a heart for the broken, the lost, the marginalized. Give us a heart for those in high places, God. And so, Father, for every person Lord, where they're at, we just declare your kingdom come and your will be done such a time as this for your glory in jesus name amen
0: amen well thank you again tony kim for being on this broadcast you just brought such a wealth of wisdom and grace and practical equipping for people so thank you again and uh if you're part of this uh, leaders alliance thing please be praying for uh, tony kim for the ministry he has and the influence he has in churches all around the world you know we honor and we respect what you're doing and what you're doing in partnership with Cheon amazing leader che is one of my true you know fathers that has spoken into my life many times so god bless you god bless your ministry and uh i hope to have you on again you know let's talk some more
1: i'd be honored thank you so much for having me michael and again i want to thank you for your leadership and your sacrifice over the years for people like me in the next generation You know, we know you paved the way for us. So we're eternally grateful. Looking forward to continuing to partner with you and serving you.
0: Let's do it. God bless you all. Take care.